It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. A happy Tuesday to you. I'm Travis Wright. The Detroit Film Theater begins its new season in September, just a few weeks away. And there are tons of great films, a few special events along the way. We're going to touch on these right now with the Detroit Film Theater's Elliot Wilhelm. He's the DIA's curator of film. And uh, it's always just a pleasure to sit down with you. You're a great guy. Thank you, Travis. Well, you're not so bad yourself. It's a pleasure to see you. Good to see you, too. So uh, let's talk about what we have on the upcoming schedule this year. I mean, it's you know, there's always a lot to get to. I know that you're pretty excited about a couple of films in particular. But before we kind of go down in the nitty gritty and talk about these films on a film by film basis, what do you think ties the season together this fall? What, what are some of those through line themes? Uh, passion, actually. Uh, all of these films, and there are so many different stories that are being told, both in documentary form and in narrative form. But what's really wonderful about this season is that these are films that are all this upcoming season we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, these are films made by people who really wanted to tell their stories. They kind of burn uh, into you. They uh, clearly don't feel like uh, committee decisions. And I'm happy to say that we have eight films directed by women. And it's one of those things that just happened I'm happy be, that you're happy, by the way. It just happened to be one of those things I noticed after the schedule comes together. Sometimes that happens. You pick the finest films you can find yeah. and the most relevant films you can find and the films made with the most passion. And you stand back and you look at it and you say, oh, my gosh, there's, there's a much higher percentage of female directors than are actually out there in the commercial marketplace. So we're very, very happy about that. And it's, um, it, it's just... Yeah. One of those things that you notice when it's all put together. I love that. It's, a, it's all about passion. Let's talk about The Fits. Uh, this is a pretty interesting film. An 11-year-old tomboy named Tony, bewitched by the tight-knit dance team she sees practicing in the same Cincinnati gym that she boxes in. And then uh, some girls start coming down with a, a case of The Fits, a, a sort of trembling... I don't know, disease, virus? I, well, ah, I think a lot the, of question marks yeah, in there, I, I, and some I, of those I, I happen think, as you're watching it. Right, right. I think, I think the, the film will kind of uh, hit on some of these, but this is one of the films in particular that you seem to be pretty into this year. It's, it's an extraordinary movie. It premiered at uh, Sundance and has been seen at a number of other festivals, and it is uh, a prototypical American independent film, um, small in terms of, of budget and so on, but its director, uh, Anna Rose Homer, is someone who clearly wanted to take risks as well, and was inspired by uh, um, historic uh, tendency, as, as sometimes happens during certain tense periods in history, um, to have inexplicable um, diseases that may be physical and may be psychological in origin, but seem to be contagious in ways that are not always easily explainable. Hmm. The easy explanation is one that people look for. And in this film, there is a discussion, in fact, of the water supply. What is happening to the young girls on a particular dance team in Cincinnati? Um, and it's told through the eyes of this one young woman who is kind of interested in being, young girl, interested in being on this team, uh, but also is interested in boxing. She's interested in being accepted by this, this other group of girls, but is also independent and is viewing the world almost as a dancer might view the world. Um, and the camera does the same. The film feels choreographed, and yet mm. the narrative line is really strong. It's a terrific story, and its ending is one that will have audiences talking for some time. Um, it's 
one of those things that is, uh, to me, kind of miraculous in that here is a director who takes a cast of unknowns, people who had not acted before and are all from the same neighborhood in Cincinnati, wow. but manage to get inside their characters and bring them to the screen in a way that is completely and totally believable. Um, the film feels rehearsed, and yet it feels spontaneous, and it looks great. It I can, you're passionate about this film. I want to see it like I right now. I love the films we show. Yeah. And this was one that I just glommed onto as soon as I saw it and wanted to open the season with it. Um, and there, there are, are not enough films, clearly, about African-American communities um, that are that are looked at in ways that are are not um, stereotypical, and this is a story that is going to be something that can be related to on a universal level, but is very at the same time very specific. It's a remarkable film, and in a way, I hate talking about it, Travis, because I want people to just go and discover it. I don't want them to learn too much about it in advance. I've already done that, unfortunately, but uh, I want it to be like. I really think most of the films at the DFT, films that people discover for themselves. And it's why we consider it to be a kind it's of a year-long ongoing yeah. film festival that people, I just want them to buy a ticket, go in every Friday night or Saturday night or Sunday, see the film and say, boy, I, I am really uh, a kind of uh, astonished at what movies can do. I, I didn't realize. And, and we want that cross-section of independent films from America, of uh, in some ways less independent uh, films from other countries, but all independent in, the, in their vision, all independent in their passion, all made by people who want to tell stories. Well, I'm glad that you bring up the international flair. Uh, in 2015, Russian filmmaker Vitaly Mansky created a piece of nonfiction film about a kind of ordinary family in Pyongyang, North Korea. It's called Under the Sun. This thing is genius. The sun shines even at night in this country. The happiest people on earth live in this country. And for several generations, the motto of their lives is we do not envy. But no one outside is allowed to see this earthly paradise. Envy us, we saw it. And we'll show it to you, the real North Korea, in the rays of the sun. The sun, which for Koreans symbolizes the great Kim Il-sung. In this film, we spend one year with a girl and her classmates, parents and their collaborators. The girl who, in front of our eyes, becomes a part of the system. And the system becomes co-author of our real film. That's a little clip from the trailer, Under the Sun, uh, a piece of brilliant film, you say, Incredible Elliot. movie. This is a film that was um, conceived, I guess, by uh, North Korean authorities as being a documentary about their wonderful way of life. They hired a, a Russian filmmaker to is, do that's it. That's why nonfiction is in quotes here in, in yeah, the blurb non, I'm nonfiction reading. with the exception of the fact that they handed him a script <laughs> of everything that's going to be seen and happen in the film. Uh, it was rehearsed, the dialogue was provided, and as, as he says in the foreword to the movie, yeah. they very, very thoughtfully provided him with minders, people who followed them everywhere they went to make sure that all of their needs were attended to, and to make sure that they only went to certain parts of the city, certain areas of town, uh, where they knew there wouldn't be any um, difficult experiences for them. In other words, he's telling the audience that everything you are about to see 
was staged right. by North Korean authorities, including the reactions of the little children in the film who are trying out for this ballet company, which is another thing that, that kind of ties the two films we're talking about together. True, true. But what the uh, North Korean authorities didn't realize was that uh, the filmmaker kept his camera rolling at all times. So what we see in these spontaneous eruptions of patriotism, spontaneous eruptions of celebration and happiness, is multiple takes in which authorities will come in from off, off camera and say, no, you have to do it differently this time. You have to look more enthusiastic about the great leader. And he, you can, have he to, keeps all that in he it. Keeps yeah. it. He keeps it in there so we get to watch how this piece of propaganda was crafted. And in his very, very clever disclaimer at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film, uh, thanks the authorities for all of their help in, in <laughs> providing him with so much guidance and assistance in making the film I mean, this is a, a Clearly, real, they were not happy with, right. with the end result. This is a genre bender, though. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I don't know that another film could be made like this because of the uh, circumstances under which right. it was made. Right. Like, this is really a, a new kind of film. What's stunning about it and what's great about it and ultimately very moving about it is that the people who are being photographed are real people. And we watch their response to the world around them and, and very little of the world around them they've ever gotten to see. Right. And yet we see real children in these situations and look at the psychological toll that is being taken and the emotional toll that is being taken on them when they do take after take of something that mm. uh, is, is really um, the, the, the core of their lives. It is an astonishing experience. Um, it's, it's like watching the Manchurian Candidate actually happening rather than watching a, a movie version of a story built around it. It's an amazing piece of work, and it's almost all between the lines. And it, yeah. it is designed for uh, an intelligent and receptive audience. Hey, that's our audience. That's our audience. That's our audience. Yeah. And that's your audience. It's our we audience. We share an audience. Under the sun. That's it's, really beautiful. Yeah, it's coming up in September. Well, I think a lot of people are just fascinated to have you know such an intimate look at Pyongyang, North Korea, and uh, in, in this way, sounds like a really interesting and brilliant uh, uh, film that w has been put together here. And you know, we got a couple of films left on the current well, schedule, too. We have uh, Ava yes. Hesse. Ava Hesse is a, a, an artist who unfortunately died at the age of 34, uh, but she was a, a major force in the 1960s. One of her pieces is on display at the DIA uh, called Accession 2, which people will see in the film and recognize immediately. It's on display right now on the second floor. And the uh, cinematographer of that film, Nancy Schreiber, who's from Detroit, uh, is going to be there this Saturday and Sunday to introduce the film. That's cool. Yeah. And Can't to, find and that anywhere else. Do a Q&A. No, people love to drop in at the DFT. Yeah, that, uh, well, fact, we got the crystal ballroom upstairs, which is really nice, and you're serving some place. refreshments up there. Place. Let's just talk about the DFT for, for a second. How are things going over there? They're going well. We love, we love being able to watch audiences audiences discover films um, in, a, in a setting like the DIA's auditorium. And it's, we regard the theater as, as our gallery space. And like those works that we project every weekend, they vanish after audiences have experienced them. And yet those experiences remain within people. We've, we've been running the DFT now for 42 plus years, and we've had you know, generations of people coming in and, and saying, you know, I'll never forget the time that I, I saw such and such. I didn't know what I was going to see. But I've never forgotten that film. I may have forgotten the name of it. I may have forgotten certain elements of it. But it had an impact on people. And it's also had an impact on filmmakers who have gone on to, to you know, make that their way of, of making a living. Uh, people talk about the theater. And, and some people, um, people who are ex-Detroiters, 
know the reputation of the place and want to come next season. The actress Piper Laurie, right who on. wrote her autobiography in 2011 and was in, you know, she played Carrie White's mom in, in Carrie, and she was in The Hustler with Paul Newman. She's a Detroiter, and she's coming back to celebrate what we do at Super the DFT. Cool. And, and it's just um, a place where uh, we have always tried to celebrate that one particular art form and bring new films and bring classics to people the and way musical they should be film. seen. I mean, one of the things that I always appreciate is, you know, I think uh, two years ago there was a uh, that incredible Ginger Baker documentary. Last year, a Leon Russell doc. Yep. Just a few weeks ago, a Fela Kuti documentary. Yep. I always look forward to these because I'm a huge film fan and I'm a big music fan, and this is the perfect amalgamation of both. Uh, what, what do I have uh, very self-servingly here? What, what I have to look forward to in the fall season? Well, one of the great experiences we have along those lines is something that's uh, even more specific, uh, and that is live musical accompaniment to silent films. A lot of your listeners will know the Alloy Orchestra. Uh, The Alloy Orchestra was formed 25 years ago. This is their anniversary, uh, and they've been coming to the DFT for about 21 of those 25 years. Not every year. They haven't been here since 2012. But this year, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary with a series of films uh, in September, a whole weekend of Really terrific stuff. Uh, Ziga Vertov's The Man with a Movie Camera, Marcel Lerbier's film um, L'Inhumaine, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but it means The Inhuman Woman, and it's a highly uh, stylized Art Deco silent film which used many of the great designers of the day. The LA Orchestra will be doing that. Um, and they'll also be doing a 25th anniversary celebratory performance of their great score for Fritz Lang's Metropolis. So lots of films. And there is something about watching a beautifully restored silent in that room and having live music, which was originally composed for that film, uh, to experience that and then leave the theater and know that you can't really have that experience reproduced uh, on, a, on a TV set, on your phone, anywhere else. It's something that happens in a room with other people. Right. And you can you can meet the musicians. They come in from Boston. They're terrific guys. Although one's from Ann Arbor. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, if, if you're a music person and a film person, you have to be there that weekend. Yeah, and when's that going down? Let's mark our calendars here. That begins on uh, September 23rd, and it'll be the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And people can find out about everything we're showing by going online to dia.org. The schedule is really not fully up yet for the fall. The last couple of films for this season are listed, but all of the films that we have next season, including animated films, documentaries about Detroit entrepreneurs, we've got so much going on next time uh, that we really didn't have room for everything we wanted to show, but we tried. Uh, that must be so frustrating. I mean, you know, you talk, we kicked this conversation off talking about passion, uh, passion in these films, and I know that you're so passionate. It, it must be pretty frustrating to not get all these beautiful films in in one season, but you know, hey, it, that's, it, you got a whole year, the right? The great thing is that we have this big, beautiful, thousand-seat historic theater. The bad thing is that we have this great, big, beautiful, thousand-seat <laughs> historic theater, because it would be nice to have a multiplex, and it would be you know great to have simultaneous films going on all the time, but that theater... We'll never, we'll never touch it except to restore it. We, we love it the way it is, and whether there are a few people in there or a thousand, right on. it's a great place to be. Elliot, a real pleasure. Travis, thank you. Elliot Wilhelm is the director of the Detroit Film Theater. You can check out the schedule at d- wdet.org. We'll put up uh, all the pertinent links that you need. I'm Travis Wright. This has been Detroit Today. Detroit Today podcast available on iTunes. Subscribe now. WDET's Detroit Today, produced by Laura Weber-Davis, Jake Neer, Joan Isabella, engineered by Matthew Trevathan, Matthew Trevathan, <laughs> Matt, 
Ultra Baffin. I'm Travis Wright. This is WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station.